Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Killer Joe? Yes! I had I had a little tiny list of myself and I oh well I just gave it away. <laughs> I'm uh I'm offended to be here. I, I am I am I am triggered. I am unsure of how to feel about the situation. This is not how I wanted to start this one. <laughs> You're just going all in. Oh man, I'm not that's not the way this whole thing is gonna go, I promise. <laughs> you can start that battle. You have your own Twitter handle to, to service this this aspect. No, today, you know, when Blonde came out and everyone lost their mind for two weeks, as happens nowadays. Andrew Dominic's film was, you know, there were a very few of us who liked it, and most people just took those two weeks to talk about how much, as you're alluding to, it offended them or how much they hated it. You know, I said on our podcast about it, and I've said in every conversation I've had with people about it, that the movie is rated NC-17, and I have personally never seen an easy NC-17 rated film. I think it exists for a reason. Now, of course, we talked about this on the Blonde Pod. Like, of course, I understand that because it's just on Netflix and a click away, like the barrier to entry for NC-17 is way, way different than when, say, you and I were kids. When, like, I I don't know about you, but growing up for me, like some theaters were lax on R-rated movies. Like it kind of got worse as I got older, honestly, like in the 2000s, it became way harder to get into R-rated stuff. In the 90s, like I mean, my mom would just buy us tickets and like we'd walk off. But NC-17 movies, I mean, there was just no way. Like the the guards were up. You couldn't get into them. And I'm going to talk about. So I just want to focus on these movies today because there were a lot of lists going around. What are the best NC-17 rated films, you know, in the wake of Blonde? And I just thought this would be a fun time to, even though Blonde is, you know, a few weeks in the past now, a good solid top 10 NC-17 rated films of all time (laughs) list will hopefully live on <laughs> past all the controversy. But um, how are you feeling about this? Well, I'm actually quite curious about this episode because um, I don't really know the history of NC-17. And I the I remember as a kid, um, my relationship to NC-17 movies, I never saw one in the theater. Same, I, I don't same. even remember ones that came out, but I do remember being in Blockbuster and there was i don't know if you had it too but there was a a giant like um like cartoon poster of the rating system mm-hmm. so g it it showed like all these cartoon of like kids and like adults right, and then right. as it went on like it just became like teenagers for pg13 <laughs> And then, and then R, it was just adults. And then the NC-17 was like this lonely little category. Delinquents. Yeah. (laughs) Like they tried to make it seem like it was like the the most like well-kept and like up to scale adults imaginable. And and I was like, why are there only two people on this end? What is (laughs) NC-17? But, you know, to that point, Blockbuster did not rent NC-17 rated movies. They usually wouldn't even, sometimes they wouldn't even rent unrated ones. Like, did your theater, or did your Blockbuster have NC-17 rated stuff, or did they have unrated discs? Well, you had a porno section right in the back. In Blockbuster? (laughs) No, no. Yeah, yeah. See, not in Blockbuster. Maybe, like, your smaller local video store would have that, but sing, I mean, I'm going to get into, it's not, okay, so when all these 
favorite NC-17 rated lists were coming out in the wake of Blonde, I was seeing like a lot of people, you know, there was just a bit of misunderstanding, like the difference between unrated versus NC-17. And I'm going to do my best to give a little history lesson. Hopefully it's interesting to our listeners, but the core list, the top 10 NC-17 films is a list I've made myself and worked on very carefully to not include unrated films, to not include movies that were originally rated X. I'm only interested today in the movies that were labeled NC-17 by the MPA, the Motion Picture Association. We used to call them MPAA. Now it's MPA. They rated a movie NC-17 and the filmmakers, the studio went, what the hell? We're going to put it in theaters wearing that as a badge of honor. And that's what I'm interested in talking about. But first, yeah, we can get into a little bit of like the history of the the rating here. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, like, when did the rating system even start? Like the MPA? Yeah, like, like, okay. like when, like, like we're Jesus, moving. I didn't like, know we were going back that far. But no, fair well, question. Fair question. Yeah. Yeah, like what I mean, was like Sunset Boulevard? Was that rated something? I can't even think about like what was so rated. in the late eighteen hundreds. Thomas Edison. No <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um, the short. Uh, okay, give me like at my elevator. My thirty seconds on this. So if you go back to like the twenties and thirties, a lot of those movies are like nuts. And I did this when I binged a lot of my Oscar movies, like the, you, stuff you could not get away with a few years later. Just a, a lot of extramarital affair. A lot of. Uh, quote unquote racy stuff for the time and to where I'm watching it now going, I can't believe they got away with that. A lot of people were watching that and thinking that. So the government takes over the ratings basically from like the 30s, the 40s, the 50s into the late 60s. So that's why a lot of movies made in that period, you're not going to see like a ton of cursing. You're certainly not going to see sex. You're not going to see a lot of violence and the Hayes code, as it was called, they put a lot of restrictions on films, like how long two people could kiss, but they have all these sorts of rules. And by the late sixties, a lot of people are like bucking up against these rules and just skirting the line. Um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is a great example. The graduate is a great example. They're going like, you know, what, what is, uh, we don't really fit here. Like times are a change in. So they drop all this government stuff. And then the motion picture association is Motion Picture Association of America is created as a governing body to rate movies. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot known about them. It's probably changed over the years, but they're industry folk. They're supposed to be anonymous. It's only like 12 people, I believe, 10 to 12 people. And essentially you submit your film to them and they write. So right around in the late sixties, when they started the MPAA, it was G, P, G, R, and X. And the first movie to win Best Picture when the new rating system was implemented was Midnight Cowboy, which was rated X. So you immediately, immediately start to see a change in what critics are interested in, audiences are interested in. So that's been around for, you know, that's the way ratings went. The ratings as we know it started in the late 60s, but I'm going to get to how the ratings have changed a little bit over time. I really didn't expect that. That was all from memory. I hope that's all factually correct. That's just like the nerd part of me. I didn't, I didn't, I, I was just going to talk about R and NC-17 today, but I appreciate you, you know, plucking my brain. Sorry to put you in the, I never get to talk about put this Put you in stuff. the spot there, Haas. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. But yeah, I'm not going to go through every rating. Um, you have movies like, uh, it was the second Indiana Jones and Gremlins, interestingly enough, that you watch those and you're like, these, I mean, Gremlins, I, which I rewatched recently, should not be rated PG. 
Jaws should not be rated PG. These should be rated, as we know it, PG-13. But that rating did not exist back then. So in the mid to late 80s is when they invent PG-13. But that's getting that out of the way. Let's get to X and NC-17. So this will be an interesting podcast for a few reasons. Um, I'm going to talk about some controversial figures in film, and I'm going to talk about uh, you know, some really difficult films today. But first up, you're going to hear, I mean, you know, the Weinsteins, like, they were around for a long fucking time, and they did a whole lot of damage, as we know, but they got shit done as well in the movie industry. And they are largely to thank for getting rid of X and the NC-17 rating being here. So, but we go back a few years earlier, like, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer uh. is 1986. MPA doesn't know what to do with it. Because at this time, movies rated X are, it, it just means pornographic. You know, in the 80s, if your movie's labeled X, no one's going to go see that unless, you know, they're interested in pornography. That's at least the the scarlet letter banner that it puts on the movie. You could reject the MPA's rating and go with unrated, but then the damage of that is you're not being... You're not being shown in multiplexes like the big chains, the AMCs, the Regals. I know there were different chains in the 80s, but... So Henry was a first kind of big red flag, like, what do we do with this movie? They decided to go with the unrated rating, and the movie kind of faded into obscurity. Like, no one really talked about that movie until, like, DVD became a thing. So you see how, like, taking on these ratings early on are hurting movies. So in order for a movie theater then to present a feature, it had to be rated. Like, they could it, not. It, correct. Correct. Wow. It had to like unrated did not. This is still true today. Oh, and uh, of of the major chains of the major chains, you cannot go into an AMC unless it's like a special event or something. AMCs, Regals, they still do not show NC seventeen rated movies. No movie I'm going to mention today. I saw at a major chain multiplex. I saw a few at Landmark Cinemas. I saw some at yeah ArcLight. Yeah. Things like that. So that that still exists today. That's existed from the beginning. That's probably in the ratings somewhere. And unrated or NC-17, and it, it's just not the theaters. Like Walmart, Target, they still won't sell NC-17 rated DVDs or Blu-rays. Still what? to this day, they won't. Like I've never purchased, and I've purchased some, I've purchased some unrated yeah. movies in Target and Walmart, as we all have, but I've never purchased an actual NC-17 rated. So th this is... It's not just a restriction like, oh, your movie's going to get in less theaters by rating an NC-17. It's that the availability to market it is going to be way, way more difficult. Blockbuster is not a thing anymore, but that's why I was kind of like, well, wait a minute. I'm sure that like Billboard and Banner was there, but Blockbuster was not rating yeah, NC-17 yeah. rated movies. They weren't. You would have to go to a smaller store. There were some really, really famous NC-17 rated movies in the 90s when we were kids. And I'm going to mention today, I just don't, you know, I'm kind of skirting around a little bit. But you weren't getting that at Blockbuster. You were getting that at like the independent video store down the street or something. Or, That's so you know, fascinating because now that I'm thinking about it, it's like when you'd go to Best Buy and rent or not rent, but buy a DVD. Yeah. There was almost like a marketing for the unrated version of that movie. Yes, you know, like yes. you see it like plastered as big as anything, and it didn't even necessarily mean that much changed in the movie. Mm -hmm. It was just it almost seemed like oh, there's more uh, of whatever. Like there's there's if it's a horror movie, maybe it's more violence, or if it's a comedy, there's more bad language or something. Whatever the unrated, it happened in comedies all the time. Sure. Well, yeah. So this is why we started to see when DVDs became a thing the immersion of the 
unrated movie. And unrated and NC-17 are are very, very different. Because the idea is if something like, like you just said, a comedy, there's any number of comedies. I believe even like 40-Year-Old Virgin, when it was on DVD, there's like the R-rated version and the unrated. The idea is that people have probably already seen this in the theater. So like, who cares? We're just going to release it unrated now. But if it was a movie no one had heard about, it would be much harder to find. That's all. Wow. Yeah, I'm still still on the history track here. Back so like Henry's happen. This is where Miramax Harvey Weinstein comes into the fold. 1989 is a big year because you have the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Which Miramax was given the decision: you can do X or you can do unrated adults only. Again, X is considered pornographic. Two versions are released on VHS in the 90s. So they're even trying this now in home video. And that movie wasn't a hit in theaters, but that movie was a hit on home video. It's one with Helen Mirren. Like people still talk about that. So now we're seeing, you know, on VHS, there's an R rated version and an unrated or NC 17 rated version. And it's working. Miramax had the foreign distribution rights to Pedro Almodovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, also in 1989, and they're clashing like hardcore with the MPA over this, going, this is ridiculous. You have to get rid of this X because X is a banner. It's just a fate. It's a fateful rating. Nothing's ever going to happen with it. There's no really, really popular X-rated movie nowadays. 1990 hits, and we get the first official NC-17 rated movie. It is Henry and June, directed by Philip Kaufman. Okay, movie. It was released into a few theaters in October 1990. It eventually went to a few more theaters, made a decent amount of money. Interestingly, it was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography. Wow. But by 1990, X still might have been a rating. It still might have existed for pornographic films. It doesn't, they don't even carry that today. But now we officially have NC 17, which is like, you know, R, what is R? It's like restricted for strongly restricted for people under 17 or something or like you have to have to get an x is like adults only period now it exists okay 1992 is another banner year because we have abel ferrara's bad lieutenant and paul verhoven's basic instinct now both are battling with the mpa one is a studio movie basic instinct and they're just going back and forth and bad lieutenant says okay to hell with it they take the nc-17 rating makes $2 million. Basic Instinct does, this is like one of the first big negotiations with the MPA that we hear about a lot. Like, well, if you make these cuts, maybe we'll consider it. You know, if you shave this off, maybe we'll consider it. They do that enough to eventually get the R rating. A lot of people thought that movie should have been rated NC-17, but it was rated R, so it gets to go everywhere. Now it gets to play in every theater. Basic Instinct made $352 million worldwide, and it was nominated for Best Editing and Best Score Oscars. So you're kind of seeing the difference of like, if you're a smaller indie movie and you take the NC-17 rating, like you're just gonna, you know, I don't know how many people showed up to Bad Lieutenant in theaters outside of like New York, LA audiences. That was another movie that had to wait until... DVD and Blu-ray to find a new life. I'm almost done here with the history. I promise. No, this is great. It's good shit, man. And I'm I'm skipping over some years because some of the movies on my list came out, you know, in these years. But I'm jumping to the summer of 1999 because by this time we're seeing this, you know, pervasive need to dodge the NC-17 Scarlet Letter rating. This notion reveals itself in its fullest form when studio heads decide to insert CGI characters into a key sequence in Eyes Wide Shut, which Warner Brothers was only able to do because Stanley Kubrick had died. But as the years have passed, we've seen this like NC-17 rating 
kind of turn into the X to where people are avoiding it for all the reasons uh, I mentioned. It's it, it will play in some theaters, but it's not going to play in major chains. There will be DVD Blu-ray releases of it, which I know don't matter as much anymore anyway, but they're not going to sell them in the biggest retail stores. You can buy it on Amazon. You know, a, a lot of this stuff has changed because as we're now seeing, this is why I made such a big deal about this on the Blonde Pod that... For me to see one of these movies, it was so difficult when I was a kid because either like if I if I'm watching an NC7 an, an authentically NC17 rated film, there's no theater, there was no theater near me that I could see it. There was no streaming service that existed. So like my parents had to rent it or like a friend's parents had to rent it or that, that that's what it was and it was so difficult. And now with Netflix, again, as I said, anyone with a smartphone likely has that app on their phone and they could have pulled it up in those two weeks or the one week, however long blonde was number one and just clicked it. The ease of access. That's, that's a whole other conversation. We're just talking about movies here, but you know, people have a lot easier access to everything. So that's just kind of my history lesson on the rating and how it is still, we don't see or hear about a lot of them today because of all the restrictions that come with it. Now, Every filmmaker has the right to wholesale reject the MPA rating, but outside of foreign films, we don't really see many unrated movies in the theater. Like Lars von Trier movies, he's usually, I, I mean, when I saw Antichrist, I had to go to a landmark to see that, and that was unrated, because he goes, why am I going to give this to the MPA? They're just going to rate it NC-17, so I'm just going to avoid all that nonsense. Antichrist is never going to play in an AMC chain. It's only yeah. going to play at like, you know, the independently owned theaters or the theaters who are willing to take on a little more risk. Going on, we see more and more of that. The same goes for Gaspar and Away movies. A lot of them are just released here in the States as unrated because they don't want to deal with the MPA and their rules and restrictions. But the top 10 list I'm going with today are, again, the filmmakers who decided I'm taking on, I'm wearing it as a badge of honor. They could have all rejected the rating. But they went, no, we'll go with NC-17. We'll do it. Sure. Andrew Dominic could have released Bond as unrated. I, I'm sure Netflix would not allow him to do that. Or maybe I'm not sure. I don't know. But I, I remember him saying early on in the press that this was likely going to be NC-17. And I just love that Netflix let him do it his way. And Well, and that's what's crazy too, is like streaming services, like, they don't care at all what the rating is, it seems like. Yeah, like Hulu, I see a lot of Hulu originals that are unrated or something. Like yeah. They, or they call it TVMA, and it, I guess they're classifying that as TV, but I see see a lot of original streaming stuff that this is also what I wanted to bring up on Blonde. Like, a lot of original streaming content is, I'll see shit on that that's way worse than anything in Blonde. And I'm like, oh yeah. my God, <laughs> like, what? Yeah, and like, I, I even remember, like, watching Blonde and it's sort of, you know, I mean, just because we watch what we watch, and I'm thinking to myself, I was like, None of this is like, I guess we have very extreme like lines that we'll consider for what would be restrictive in our minds. Mm -hmm. Fair. But, but even then I was sort of like, oh man, I've seen way worse than this, like in the sexual part of things. Yes. You and I may have our, you know, kind of doors open to that stuff. And we're, we are willing to accept a lot. We're very adventurous in our film watching. My dad is too, but not like as adventurous as us. I'm not going to recommend a Gaspar and Away movie to, yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah. him. He watched Blonde. We met up. We talked about it. He's someone who loves that era of film. Monty Cliff, James Dean, Brando. This is where I get all this shit from. Has always, when I was a kid, was telling me 
giving me reasons to admire Marilyn Monroe, like beyond the surface, you know, giving me depth to her performances. He watched the movie, you know, he, my dad's not online. He's not like on Twitter. And I was telling him about the controversy and he was just shaking his head going that, I mean, uh, from what I know about her life, that was the PG version of her life. I know some stuff was hard, but this, this was just could have been so much worse. And he also agrees that he has seen much worse, particularly on television, yeah. <laughs> like original streaming shows. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I understand it was difficult, but I, that, that's why I, we said over and over, like, wait, wait a few months, wait a few years. That's what Andrew Dominic said from the beginning, that he doesn't think it's going to be this, you know, much of a hot topic in five years. I do agree with him. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. And obviously this rating system does not apply to TV shows at all. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, when you when you think about it's a really quick little like side tangent here, but like you know, you you get certain shows back in the day where HBO, you could have swearing, you could have nudity, you could mm-hmm. have certain things that you couldn't have. Still to this day, you still can't have yeah. certain like language on network shows. Different rating body, yeah. Yep. So, but that has nothing to do with this and um, obviously, streaming services, if it's a Netflix, their own show, they don't need to worry about rating or anything. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. There's another aspect of this that is inherently American. And that is that, you know, Americans get accused a lot of time of being prudes. And yeah. every movie I'm going to mention today is rated NC-17 by and large because of sexuality. Yeah. Again, once we get closer to the list, it's, you know, I am going to talk about some tough films and some of the reasons they're tough is because it's sexual assault. It's things like that. But some of these movies have only consensual sex and it's still, you know, rated NC 17. And that's movies don't often get rated NC 17, if ever for violence, for language. And that is to me always been a paradox of American content. It was something my mom, frankly, never understood either that you can just go like in a PG 13 movie, watch, all this incredibly unrealistic violence that young boys can watch all this incredibly unrealistic violence and go, oh, wow, I can just next time I'm play fighting with my friends, I can hit them with a two by four because you just bounce right back up. I'm being very general, but, you know, sex, forget it, forget it. Like we can't. And it's still it's still this way by and large. I think we saw that, you know, Blonde was not rated NC-17 for violence. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, man. What is with America with that? Don't ask me. Before I get to the top 10, I do want to distinguish a little bit of what NC-17 means as as opposed to unrated movies or director's cuts that were later released on DVD, which is kind of the same as unrated. Moreover, I want to mention all these because this is I'm going to mention a lot of really, really big movies here. And this is why you're not going to hear them in my official top 10, because I don't care what IMDb says. None of these movies I'm about to mention right here were released theatrically with an NC-17 rating. They were released as R or unrated or unrated later on home video. So first, there's a few movies that a lot of people bring up that if we're talking unrated versus NC-17, these movies were rated X, but now they've been retroactively rated NC-17. Things like Last Tango in Paris, you know, NC-17 didn't exist back then. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Evil Dead, the 1981 Evil Dead. If you go on IMDb, it says Evil Dead is NC-17, which by today's standards, it is. They probably had it rated again, and now it's NC-17. But I'm talking about the ones that went in the theater with the NC-17 rating. Okay. I get really worked up. Yeah, baby. So here's here are 
another core group of films that were rated NC-17 by the MPA. And then the director went, forget it, I'm just rejecting you and I'm going to release this as unrated. So these did play in theaters, but only those small indie houses that we're talking about. This is things like Happiness, the Todd Zalant movie I've referenced to you a few times with Philip Seymour Hoffman that if anyone knows, they know that movie is so wild. <laughs> really big one, Mysterious Skin. Yes. I saw this pop up on a lot of my favorite NC-17 movies ever. This is not an NC-17 movie. It's an unrated movie. It's a very, very good unrated yeah. movie starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Wow. Wow, you've seen that one, right? Well, yeah, it's funny because like I made my whole entire list has gone to shit because <laughs> I realized that a lot of them now aren't actually by this category. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. So I had mysterious skin. That movie's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my great. favorite, uh, JGL performance. Yeah. He is remarkable in it. Mine is manic from a few years before, which like no one has oh. seen what a fantastic portrayal yeah, no, of a manic depressive. Um, but to keep on he this had a great kick, career. Yeah. I, oh God, I love him. He's still going. I he love is. him. To keep on this kick of movies that the filmmaker decided to release as unrated, Nymphomaniac, which Lars von Trier went, I'm not taking your NC-17, and Itumama Tambien. So I already mentioned one of these, but now you're going to get, I'm, I'm going to talk about a lot of movies that were rated NC-17, and they appealed to the MPA to get an R rating. But most all of these, not all of them, but most all of these were released as unrated later on DVD and Blu-ray. So that's where the lines get muddy that like, if you saw these movies in the theater, you saw the R-rated version, but if you've only seen, let's say, American Psycho on Blu-ray, you've likely only seen the unrated version. But that movie was never yeah. NC-17. Same with Basic Instinct, like I mentioned, Blue Valentine, Casino, Clerks, Eyes Wide Shut, like I mentioned, Natural Born Killers, Requiem for a Dream, Scream, Summer of Sam. A lot of people, I saw those pop up a lot on my favorite NC-17-rated Films and again, those were just released as unrated on home video. So that's it for the for all the setup. Ready to get into the list here to my authentic wow, list that's... of NC seventeen rated films. You see the distinction that I'm talking about? That like, yeah. who cares? Believe me, people, who cares? Like, I get it, but this is a movie pod. And we're getting nerdy a little bit technical, and I want people to watch tough movies. I want people to watch challenging movies. So I kept seeing. Um, I kept seeing Clerks, Requiem for a Dream, Natural Born Killers appearing on Mysterious Skin on a lot of NC-17 rated lists. And I'm just saying, you know, they're challenging and edgy films, but they didn't go into the cinema waving the NC-17 rated flag saying, come at me. And that's like a really tough thing, too, because I saw a lot of those lists as well. And I saw Casino on there and Mm -hmm. it's not NC-17. Yeah, that's a blog writer not doing their research. Yeah, that's that's all. And, you know, upon hearing the history that you just gave, I didn't think that there was a problem with NC-17 movies being shown. I didn't think that that restriction actually meant, okay, we're not going to play your movie. So to think a movie yep. like all the ones you just listed that are mm-hmm. on Google, if you put in NC-17 movies that technically aren't, then mm-hmm. it actually is a disservice to the movie because it's not being represented correctly if you're going by... Well, this is what I'm saying. Like on streaming now, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't Like it matter. doesn't matter. The lines are so muddy now. And again, this is why Blonde received such criticism because I said from the beginning, if this was if this was NC-17 and only released in those indie movie houses, and then we're hearing from like the fans who really wanted to go, who really wanted to know, then we're hearing from them like, okay, folks, this movie's tough. Like when you go seek this out and 
two months when it's available to stream or available to buy on Blu-ray, this is going to be tough. The it would have had like a nice soft landing instead of just crash landed, which Dominic did not care about at all. That's and clearly Netflix doesn't either. They're no strangers to controversy, but again, it's it's the ease of access that we all have to these now that I think was largely behind the uproar. Based off of everything that you just kind of explained about the importance and the meaning behind the NC-17 rating, and because people probably generally don't know that and don't Mm -hmm. necessarily probably care, so do you think that when Blonde came out, do you think people actually had an appreciation for it being rated NC-17? No, no, no yeah. absolutely not. This is, that that's the crux of my entire, yeah. not argument, but like manifesto here that I don't think people were giving enough credence to what that rating meant and how serious the MPA does not fuck around. They are, you know, th- there's whole documentaries made about them. Like this film is not yet rated. It's a yeah. great documentary. I mean, they're very, very... Uh, they've always been viewed and seen and labeled as a very conservative group as it relates to art, especially very sexually conservative as it relates to film art, I should say. So, yeah, I think if people but but again, if if you just see it on Netflix on your phone, like you're not going to investigate this shit. But if people yeah, if people did investigate this stuff a little more, I think they would have had a better idea of what they're getting themselves into. At, not every movie on my top 10 is like a super, super well-known movie to mass audiences. Some are. Most, you know, movie buffs will know them. I should also say that a lot of these were made by foreign filmmakers who don't maybe have as clear a sense of what NC-17 means or do have a clear sense of it and know that they make challenging films and they don't care. They're wearing it as a badge of honor, the NC-17 rating. But yeah, I I do think if like, if people look... (laughs) had a list of the 10 films I'm about to mention and went, oh, these are like other examples of NC-17 rated movies. These movies are all challenging as shit. I should probably know what I'm getting into with Blonde. I also want to say that Blonde is not on my list intentionally. We've talked about it enough. I just wanted to make room for 10 films. That's all. Let's fucking get into it, man. I, I, I've heard of all of them except for uh, your number six. So I'm excited to hear. Though this, like... When I was doing my research, um, the apparently, uh, you know, just completely false <laughs> investigation, um, <laughs> this was one movie that kept popping up. And I go, huh, I, I, I like the title a lot. So I, it, it, I'm curious to yeah. hear what this movie is about. I largely wanted to do this podcast to talk about my number six choice because, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> for all the reasons you just mentioned. And we're going to get there. But yeah, kick us off. All right, so we're going to start with number 10. Now, this is Alex's top 10. Yes. I, I, I'm throwing my list away because apparently it's all wrong. Um, so so, uh, awesome. so this is just, this is all you. I still want to hear them, though. When we're done, just go down because I still, it, we're, I'm sure they're all good movies, so I still want to hear what they were. Don't, like, literally throw it away. Oh, I, okay, I did a top five, and th- this, this is a movie that, like, I, I remember, how did I see this? Oh, you have seen it. Oh, wow. No, I have seen it. Ooh. And now I'm trying to think of how, because now if this was 2003. I'll tell you what this movie was. This for me was, uh, I just got a Netflix account where they sent you the DVD snail mail. And I went, I'm written this one because I got to see what the hell this thing is. It had to be when I was out in LA and it had to be on some type of 
cable situation. Like it had sure, to be a sure. like Showtime or something like that because yeah, I think it's one of those ones that just came on and I just go, "What am I watching here?" And then I <laughs> kind of just got about? lost in it. We're talking <laughs> about Bernardo Bertolucci's 2003 movie, The Dreamers. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, f- this movie has a lot of fans. A lot of people rep this movie hard, so if they know, they know, but uh yeah, what are we watching? Indeed, that was that was my sentiment exactly. I'll try to set it up. I'm not going to get. I want people to see all these movies. You know, if you dare, of course, if you dare, NC17. Yep, yep. That's what I'm saying. They're NC17, but I'm not going to reveal any uh, spoilers here in my top ten because I, you know, go out and see these. But if you haven't seen the Dreamers, Michael Pitt is an American, an American student in Paris during the, I believe it's the 1968 student riots. And he meets, uh, I'll say, a very odd brother and sister, Louis Garel and Eva Green, who went on to have a great career. And a very unlikely, weird love triangle begins. One of the reasons I like this movie is that they're all obsessed with movies, yeah. <laughs> particularly <laughs> French New Wave cinema. And the movie is kind of cut like a French New Wave movie, which I appreciated. This is an extremely odd and, uh, I'll say, cool film. I did not really dig it when I when it did land in my mail. When I was returning it via snail mail back to Netflix, I was like, uh, okay. And I actually watched it for this episode about a month and a half ago because I knew this episode was coming. You know, I'd seen it more than twice, but I appreciate it much more now. But it's a Bertolucci movie. Like if the only if the only Bertolucci movie you know is what he won his Oscar for, The Last Emperor, that's like the least Bertolucci movie ever, you know, where the dreamers is akin to uh last tango in Paris. So yeah, it's, it's a twisted movie though. That's a, that's probably a great analogy. If someone was, yeah, it's to, a great if, Bertolucci double feature. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If you're trying to understand like what the dreamers is and you need something to compare it to, even if you've never even seen last tango in Paris, I think everyone kind of knows the content of that movie mm-hmm. and like what, what that movie is all about. This is a great, that's a great, uh, anal- uh, comparison to make. Yeah. Some of these movies like last tango, you know, there's so much ensuing controversy and drama behind that movie. And you know, when this stuff like decides to explode on Twitter for a week or two, it, you know, this is, that's one that comes up a lot. I know that so many people haven't actually seen the movie and I'm not taking away like any of the accounts of what's been, there's some shit that came up about that movie specifically that I didn't know about that I did not like, but some of these movies, dare I say, are not as bad as you may have heard. Like bad, like, oh God, I'll let you know if they are, trust me. I, I think that was our argument with Blonde, that Blonde isn't, I could, you know, I'm not here to play i'm not like a lawyer trying to <laughs> cite different cases but i could name any no- i could name any number of streaming shows i've seen since covid hit that have far more uh, nefarious content than blonde anyway number 9 <laughs> number 9 is a movie that i Ooh. i i i don't think i'll ever watch it because it looks absolutely terrifying but i always thought this movie looked really good I was always sort of like, man, I bet you that this is a really freaking good movie, and I have no interest in seeing it. Oh, boy. And that's um, from from uh, our, one of our most recent podcasts of 2007, the movie Descent. You know what I'm realizing? My order is, that's so funny, my order is a little different. I changed the order on mine that I did on this one. So 
This was well, actually fuck me, man. This, what am no, I supposed to do? No, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cut all this out. I'm going to cut all this out. So this was oh, actually. I thought this, this was funny. This was actually my number six that I was referencing so much. Like I want people to see my six. <laughs> I think I think because I bumped it up from nine to six. I bumped it up. I will decide to include this. I don't know if people like this shit. If they're like you two idiots, get on with it. But uh, th- <laughs> this is on me. I like to own when it's on me. Hold on, though. Hold on. I can talk about right. the scent. I can talk about the scent now. I will say that I I am moving the ranking to six. Don't worry, everyone. I'll sort all this out when I do my final ranking for those who are you know f- waiting for the test at the end. But <laughs> what do you think I'm talking about? I think you're talking about Descent. Yeah. What movie is that to you? Oh. Oh, is this not what I'm thinking of? Or do you think it's a cave movie? Yeah. See, okay, a lot of people do. I'm not talking about the cave movie, but it's a fucking amazing horror film. Starring, yeah, yeah, you always you know, talk with, about like, that. Oh, I love it. Like, about 15 minutes in, for the rest of the movie, it's basically all women. It's a great, great movie. Um, that is not what I'm talking about here on this list. I'm not, no, I'm not, like, shaming you for it. I'm, I'm saying that um, sternly because we're about to go down a... Uh, a difficult road but that movie is my number yeah. six that's a little bit of a spoiler so let's go all the way back up to number nine <laughs> i'm just gonna keep it all in i'm keeping it all in mother of birth. i'm sorry you set it up so well you set it up so well abba de latif keshish is the director of blue is the warmest color i hope i said that right but that is my number nine pick i feel like we talked about this one recently um when was the last time you saw this i saw this uh i've seen it twice i saw it in theaters and then, and that was a, that, 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 that's a fun experience oh, wow. because yeah. that, uh, a lot of people because were stirring in their seats in that screening. I'll tell you. The, the yeah. funniest thing was, was like at a certain point, cause well, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. There's like a very, very long sex scene in the movie. Yes. A few, a, a few. Yeah. yeah. But the one in particular, it like, it's over five minutes. Uh, like it, it's, I, I think it's like 11 or 12. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like an, I, uh, yes, the, I mean, when you're talking about this movie, these scenes have to come up. This isn't really like the, it, they're difficult for me to talk about, like as a man, honestly, and, and how the way that they are shot, I don't really agree with. And the, the amount of length that they go on for. Yes. Still uh, an incredibly audacious film for many, many reasons. But yeah, yeah, keep going. This is what you're no. referencing when you're sitting in a movie theater. Yeah. When I saw it as well, it was, I've only seen it twice as well. It was sold out and it, it got, uh, it got weird. I'll say a few times. Yeah, it, yes. well, and, and I think that's and and I think that's actually like I think to your point, like it was too long, and because at a certain point, you get it, like you yes. just like yes. you, you, like you understand, and it's sort of like okay, yep, 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 yep. And what happened to me at that point was I started looking around because I was like, I wonder what everyone else thinks, dude. I did the exact same thing. Yeah. And you're just like checking in with like, you know, because no one wants to be looked at in the theater when you're oh, watching <laughs> something like this. So but now here I am. I'm like, oh, man, what's uh, what's what, what, what are these people over here thinking? And, and 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 you can also like I saw everyone kind of do the same thing where they all kind of were like, all right. Yeah. Like same thing I was, except I was just staring at them. <laughs> and uh, Right. Yeah. But. I think that ultimately is probably not the uh, intention. If if you were the director, I would kind of go on a limb and say you wouldn't want people checking out of your movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But nevertheless, that's just one part of this movie. Uh, I I this movie would be on my list. It is on my list. Um, I think this movie is absolutely fantastic, and 
I think it's a great, great love story that really feels the weight of time in a way that a movie um, can make you feel. And I think that's a very, very huge achievement. Well said, Jesus. Yeah, because the the movie is long. It's like pushing three hours. And a lot of it, it's you spend so long on just certain scenes and then you will boom and jump to like months, yeah. years later. And you feel that like that tightness and then you're just you're gone and you're off. So you're really following following them on this adventure. I this is not a counter argument for the length of the sex scenes at all. The director just seems, at least in this film, extremely interested in focusing on things for a long period of time. The sex, yes, but also there's a lot of eating in this, just like a yeah. ton of eating. The movie argument. The argument that they have at the end in the apartment, which we reference on our, you know, favorite movie arguments podcast, there she has like Adele has like snot and all this gross stuff like falling from her face. And they, you know, normally you'd go, uh, you'd cut it, like blow your nose or something, get that. And he just, he's, and it's not far away. Like he's focused right on it. And you're like, okay, so he's, for lack of a better phrase, he's really, really concerned with all the intimacies of a young relationship with this movie. And yeah. he focuses on certain aspects, obviously much, much more detailed than the other. But I do want to say, you know, this is one of the most realistic relationship movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It did win the Palme d'Or at Cannes. I have also only seen it twice, once in the theater and then once when it was just released on DVD because I knew I was going to include it in my top 10 of 2013, and I did. so. It's been a while, but yeah, this movie is a lot to take. You know, Leah Sadu was already somewhat well-known to American audiences, but her career took off after this. And then Adele, whose last name I just cannot pronounce, and I'm so sorry because your performance in this movie is beautiful. I really thought she stole the movie yeah, from me. Yeah, I did too. She has been in, yeah, she's been in stuff, but not many American movies. And maybe that's intentional by her. Maybe she doesn't want all the bullshit that comes with the Hollywood system. I get it. I would just love to see her and more. And then lastly, we, we've already kind of touched on it, but this was a very troubled production, very controversial movie. Uh, what a vision. You know, I, I honestly think once all the controversy of this movie like broke and once I started really examining um, criticism of it, that's probably why I've stayed away from the movie a little bit, but I have gone back to watch certain scenes like that argument and God, it's just, I mean, the way they meet like on the street and then oh, she looks it. at her like that, that's the shit I love. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that's the stuff I can't get out of my head. And they apparently filmed that like a hundred times. I, I don't know, but yeah, tough, tough movie. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast episode is because I wanted to talk about these movies just a little bit outside of whatever they are known for, which is usually sex scenes, you know, these NC-17 rated movies. So I'm glad to give a little voice to some of these movies. Um, I'm, I'm going to set this one up briefly. This next one's really interesting because this also contains a lot of sex, but where I would argue the sex doesn't change, it doesn't change too much in blue is the warmest color. It does early on because the Adele character is like experimenting with, uh, you know, a boy in her school, but it doesn't, I, I don't know, to me, like, it doesn't change a lot. Every sex scene in Ang Lee is less caution. Like, it really means something different than the one before. And, wow, I don't know if you've ever actually seen this movie. We talked about this. Yeah, you said you heard of all the controversy of it in the 2007 pod, but you didn't say you'd actually seen it. No, I did see it. Okay, I didn't know. Oh, oh. I'm saying you never no, told I'm me. No, I'm thinking of a different movie. Never mind. Jesus fucking Christ. I <laughs> What movie could you possibly be confusing? I was thinking with lust caution. I was thinking 
I was thinking of the handmaiden. Okay, okay, that's fair to get confused. But I mean, the handmaiden doesn't exist without lust. No, 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 no. The no, handmaiden no. is a way more like a, a freaky deaky type yeah, of film. Yeah. I guess is a way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. There's a lot more. Uh, uh, I'll say like perversion. That's a that's a good movie too. Like, don't get me wrong. I like that movie a lot. But that's yeah. The the sex and just the what. The whole tone of Lust Caution is very, like, sinister. Some of Handmaid is sinister. I always want to call it Handmaid's Tale, but it's not that. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, it's a Handmaid. That was a good movie. That made my top 10 of that year as well. I remember that. Yeah, Lust Caution, we did mention on the 2007 podcast, but we didn't really, like, talk about it that much. So I want to know kind of what you think about it because, you know, we were moving fast. We're mentioning a lot of movies. I didn't really do a good job of explaining what the movie was about. And I don't want to do it a disservice because this movie actually is very well done. It's Lust Caution is about a group of students at the University of Hong Kong who in the late 30s and early 40s attempt to assassinate a high ranking agent in the corrupt government played by Tony Lung. And the best way they can think to do this is by having the most innocent one among the bunch played perfectly by Tang Wei lure this agent in with sex. But when this movie begins, her character is a virgin. So uh, there's, you know, there's quite a journey in this film. It is a long film. It is beautifully shot. And all the actors really go for it in any number of ways. And Tang Wei actually by total coincidence, is the star of Park Chan-wook's new movie, Decision to Leave. I don't know if you've heard of that one right now, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. But yeah, give me your lust caution thoughts. This is a, It's a challenging movie. I've only seen it twice. I saw it in the theater and it was like, whoa. I mean, <laughs> and then um, saw it once. I don't know. It must have been on some channel because I don't own this or anything, but I definitely watched it all the way through. I think I wrote about Ang Lee, so I watched all of his work, but yeah, wow. I just remember all of the controversy over the sex. Because it was nominated for an Academy Award, was it not? It wasn't, and largely wasn't. because of the NC-17 rating, because this uh, this is why I don't think Blonde will... I, I'll put it this way, I won't be surprised if it picks up any nominations. I mean, I mentioned, like, Henry and June, there are movies that have been rated NC-17 that have gotten nominated for Oscars, usually not major ones. You don't get in the top eight Oscars. So, no, this wasn't. And it really should have been. I mean, at least for like the cinematography is gorgeous. But, you know, as we've established, 2007, tough year. But um, Marianne Cotillard and Tang Wei in this movie are my favorite, two of my favorite performances of that year, male or female. I don't care. It, it sucks because I remember I remember thinking like that this movie is being whatever the movie's content is being overshadowed by this idea that it's just a movie about sex. Yeah, which is exactly what happened to the movie he made two years earlier, Brokeback Mountain, yeah. which was rated R, in which people, I mean, if you weren't around for that uproar, I was in college, I was alert, I was seeing every movie, I was doing everything, I was on the internet as much as you could be, like I was reading and everything, watching everything, and people, I mean, God, you thought the hysteria for Blonde was bad? People were losing their minds over Brokeback Mountain losing their minds, boycotting it. Theaters in Utah, I think like the entire state, just weren't going to show it. This is weeks before the movies come out. Then what happens? We watch it and it, <laughs> like, I mean, Jesus Christ, people, come on. I mean, the sex in Brokeback Mountain is consensual and it's it clothed and barely lasts any amount of time. So I took him as being like, hey, you all lost your minds over that. 
Yeah. Fuck you. I'm doubling down with lust caution. That's what I, sorry for that long rant, but I just, I always defended Brokeback Mountain like a lot. It was not cool to be a 20 year old dude who liked that movie. I'll put it that way. It just wasn't. No. And I always fought for it. You know, it's one of those things where if you go into a movie where it has these um, uh, foregone, not conclusions, but these judgments made of it. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to go into that movie and then like, so if it's a sexuality scene, so the movie is being plagued by its its use of sexuality, you're going to go into that movie, even with an open mind, but you're going to get to that sex scene. And you're going to be like, ah, here it comes. This is the scene yep. that everyone's talking yep. about. And and that sucks because like, that's not the way that the story wants you in the movie no. to get to that scene. Like that scene, if done tastefully, is done for a reason. So it sounds like to me, mm-hmm. like in your description of like this movie, you know, these are sex scenes that are telling a story. Like there's a purpose. There's a reason. Oh, yeah. If that's getting lost on you because you're like, oh, is this the scene that's causing all the controversy? What happens here? Like you're looking at the movie in a such a macro way that's not at all what the movie is trying to do for you as the audience. It, it just it sucks. It's, it's disservice to the storytelling. Yeah. And this is clearly what we're seeing. 15, well, you, everything you just said, we could apply to Blonde. To Blonde and it's been yeah. 15 years since Lust Caution came out. And the only thing I just tell people is, I, I mean, do a little research. Like you can investigate why it's rated NC-17 or why it has the rating, but that is the only discourse around Blonde. I mean, still, even uh, especially when it was all crazy for those few weeks, it's all about the sexuality and the nudity and all this. And I'm going, okay, that stuff is in Lust Caution. It is in Blonde. It is. I'm not denying that. But there is more to the movie. Yeah. Lust Caution is a beautifully shot movie, beautifully staged. The end, it doesn't end where I expected it to. And yeah, I mean, it's a challenging piece. This isn't... He's made very Angley's made incredibly rewatchable movies that are fun. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is awesome. Like you can watch that anytime. All right, let me set this one up a little bit for you because at the top of the pod, which I'm absolutely going to include, or when we started this list, you were referencing number six. Like you've heard about it so much. So this is the one you were talking about. I do still really want to talk about this movie. Six and seven are ones that I really, really want to mention. But yeah, you can lead off with. You know, I want to know what you know about number seven and what you've heard about it. I've never, I've never heard anything. I just like the title. Oh, you've never heard of this one? No, I, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just like, ooh, I it's like a cri- that title. It's a, it's like an old school Criterion pool. So this is 1992, Man Bites Dog. I cannot say the last names of these wonderful men who made this movie. So I'm going to say Remy, Andre, and Benoit. But this is. Wow. Again, if you know (laughs) for this movie, then you know. I mean, it's a Belgian film. It's in French, shot in black and white on very grainy 16 millimeter by four college kids. The movie, like when I put this movie on, I saw this in college. It is presented as a very gritty documentary about a few young college filmmakers who befriend a serial killer named Ben and just follow him around as he does like heinous shit, serial killer shit. It's gruesome. It is very, I emphasize very oddly funny. (laughs) It's a very unique film. And as the documentarians keep filming Ben, they uh, become consumed by his ways and they start to join him in his crime. So 
it is the type of movie that feels so real. It actually feels like you're watching real crimes. This is like the Blair Witch thing before Blair Witch. The, this movie is not a documentary. It's like it's one of the first kind of mockumentaries like Spinal Tap was a few years earlier, but this is taking it in an extremely disturbing and perverse way. But again, everyone in the movie is an actor, but I just can't imagine what audiences would have done with this in 1992. This was, I've been watching and listening to a lot of Tarantino stuff lately, hint, hint. And he has some great stories of hitting the festival circuit in 1992 with Reservoir Dogs. And these are the guys he was palling around with, like the makers of this film. And they were just some kooky kids running around and what a crowd that would have been. But, um, it is interesting to me that Remy and Andre have never made another narrative film, and the guy who plays Ben has acted a bunch. But if you've seen like this Criterion cover, or I just, I really urge people to put it on. But for my knowledge, this is, this could be one of the few movies mentioned today that is rated NC 17 because of just like terrifying, consistent violence on screen. <laughs> it's, it's very, very unsettling, like very unsettling, but, um, a really, trippy experiment it's a very very uh that's a, that's a cool idea <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's a, it's it's, it's, it's like not it's, they don't present it as found footage it's like mockumentary but it's a really really early example of that that never gets mentioned on those lists like best mockumentary films best yeah uh, you know fake documentaries wh- whatever and when i say cool i i don't mean cool in, in in being a serial killer i just mean like that's just a very very um far out and it's a, it's just a compelling way to to go into a story like that. Like I love the yeah, idea. Yeah, it's a really radical concept yeah. that like I I hadn't seen. I mean, I didn't see this in 1992. This was like a when again like the Netflix thing, like get renting these NC17 movies like on DVD, having it show up and putting it in and going, "What is this going to be?" And and I knew about Man Bites Dog from Tarantino and from other filmmakers, but yeah, it's a it's a radical movie. Well, let's get to this number six movie now with all the controversy that we've had. A lot of controversy, let's, yes. Let's talk about this cave movie. Okay, Descent 2007 is not a cave movie. Um, <laughs> that is a very, that is called The Descent, and it is an incredibly good and effective horror movie. Descent, made in 2007 by Tala Lugesi, as you mentioned, is... Um, so this one, this is difficult to talk about, like no kidding aside. Uh, Maya, played by Rosario Dawson, is a college student. She meets a nice young fella at a frat party. They go on a date. They go back to his place to talk. And it is bad. Maya is sexually assaulted by this guy. And it is bad. It's like the... It shares a lot with Irreversible, but then not. It has its own style to it. Because it's all in one shot. But, I mean, the camera is, like, right on her face the whole time. Uh. On Rosario Dawson's face. Like, just her face only. And, um... It, it's bad on purpose. I actually own this movie. I listened to the director's commentary for it, in which Rosario Dawson is also on. Um, it's a very rough scene, but it has purpose. I'm not even getting into like the language that's used in the scene. Um, and then there's still a fucking hour left in the movie. <laughs> and uh, wow, Rosario Dawson is flawless in this film. It's, this is an extremely important movie to me thematically it has an ending that i've never forgotten it'll leave you thinking and just watching her arc of like okay this this horrific thing happens and then you know we still got all this time left in this movie and she you know changes and what what this attack does to her is 
something that I could have never expected. And I don't think many people who've seen this movie, and it's not a popular movie, but I don't think many people have seen it, have seen it twice. So, you know, uh-huh. wow, it's a tough one, but it's, it's very good. It's very good. It's just a tough, like, New York indie movie, you know? Not a cave movie. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was trying to find something witty to bring it back to a cave thing, but then I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't ruin with the the impact of what you just said with something funny. It's just so authentic. Like it's so. Um, the end is, um, yeah, that's that's like a that's a movie that lives in the in the shadow of irreversible wow. and going. I got what that movie was doing, and the fact that it was written and directed by a woman, like it, it, everything in the movie has purpose. You are no one. No one watching Descent is going to enjoy everything in that movie. You're just not. That's the design of it. But, you know, tough, tough, tough movie. Tough movie. So in my uh, genius outlining here, in which I totally botched the order, but hopefully it made for some good (laughs) potting, I have left the last five obscure to you because I want to hear, you know, your authentic reactions and not see them. You say you you know two that will be on it. So we'll see if that is revealed Uh, because you're going to know. All these movies. Number five, okay, kind of crazy to go from something um, like The Descent to Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls <laughs> released in I 1995. Knew it. But, um, <laughs> I knew it. But, you know, Showgirls is not a better made movie than the ones I've already listed. And it is certainly not as important. But Showgirls is the NC-17 movie to end all NC-17 movies. It's, <laughs> it's the reason why people know about this rating. I mean, if I'm doing a list like this, I have to include Showgirls in the top five. Keeps balancing the world. <laughs> this movie's ridiculous. <laughs> this movie's ridiculous. absolutely ridiculous. It's so much fun. It's so insane. Everyone is acting at 11. Like the camera operator is at 11. The, the person responsible for however much neon needed to be on set is at 11. There's no chill in regard to this movie. And dare I say, Verhoeven knew this. Dare I say that this was all his intention? I mean, to fuck around with $40 million of United Artists money? I, I don't know. It's a bad movie. And I'm not saying that if someone intentionally makes a bad movie, that necessarily makes it, you know, a good bad movie. I'm not saying that. But Showgirls is the best bad movie ever made. I think it's so damn cheesy. And that, that ends the positive selling point for me. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, dude, like there, there's a reason that like, I mean, at least in LA, but I'm sure in all like the major like movie cities, like this is a movie that is shown in theaters to this day. Yes. It has cult status that, um, you know, there's a reason why certain movies do this. There, It has a following. It has a fan base. People have fun with it. They go to midnight showings of it. They laugh with and or at it. I remember the first time I saw this, it took me a while to learn that some movies were being made intentionally for other reasons than to be taken seriously. Like subversive reasons. Yes, yes. I mean, folks, Mel Brooks was doing this in the 60s and 70s like he was doing it too not at this perverse of a level but yes I, yes like i like it's my american psycho thing like the first time i saw that i took it so seriously that i was like this movie is like the most offensive thing i've ever seen and look what happened now it's in my top top 10 but uh this was one where i had the same thing i go what is this like this is not good like none of this is like this is not okay of showgirls yeah yeah and, and honestly it wasn't until the sex scene in the pool which is like coming towards the end of the movie where i just go 
maybe this is supposed to be ridiculous <laughs> because <laughs> is that toward the end where, where she where she's like flailing in in, in I, I'm 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 aware of the scene, my friend. I'm just <laughs> yes, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> yes, I know. Maybe, Wherever maybe it is not, in yeah. the movie, I I get your point. That's when you go. You're either in or you're out, and if you're out, you were you were out in minute ten of the movie. But if you're in, you go okay. We've crossed a huge line here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was like I okay. I I think I just surrendered to it. I was sort of like all right. I have I have no idea what I'm watching right now. Um, I don't care. <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> see this through. And were you like at home when you saw it for the first time? Yeah, yeah. I I saw this young, like I saw, well, not like too young, but like, uh, I definitely, I think it was had to be the early 2000s. Jesus. So yeah, I mean, I've seen it a few times as well. And like you said, it's, it is definitely one of the, I think in our mailbag episode, I said this was my favorite cult classic of all time, or at least in the top five, you know, but, um, but one thing, yeah, I'm going to call it like I see it. Uh, this movie does feature one scene that to me earns its NC-17 rating. And that's that horrible. Uh, just gang rape that did not need to go that far, like toward the end. Like, we get it. Like, you did not need to take it there. I cannot justify that scene. I've only watched that scene once. That's what fast forward is for. But it's like, I don't, yeah, I'm something like that kind of maybe keeps me out of a midnight screening. Of yeah, it I think that's just yeah. so uncomfortable to like watch with other people. And even like, Elizabeth Berkeley introduces the movie at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery screening, which is great, but that scene is just, I don't know. That's got to be one where the crowd just gets kind of quiet, you know? It's tough. Yeah, I imagine it's one of those situations where it's like, you, there's so much more about the movie that people have, like, it's why it has that call says, and that's the scene where you're like, all right, you know, we just got to get through this. Yeah, and then, come, then, on, moving come on, on, moving on. on. Uh, this next film also has a finale scene that some people thought went, Way, way too far, and that is William Friedkin's Killer Joe. Ah. Truly great and savage movie. Holy shit. I mean, this is one, you know, he makes Bug and releases that in 2007, as we said, based on a Tracy Let's Play. That gets an R rating, and they come around. This is William Friedkin, you know. French Connection, The Exorcist, Sorcerer, like, no stranger to pushing boundaries. (laughs) Cruising, which I watch now and still can't believe is rated R. Like, that's crazy. But he sees this as an opportunity to go, you know what? I don't care. Like, we're just doing it. I'm going to do it the way Tracy Let's wrote it. And we're going to put it out there with the NC-17 badge of honor. And God, this thing is just so grimy and sweaty and gross. It's maybe features my favorite Matthew McConaughey, at least my favorite starring role from him, certainly. And it's the McConaissance. Oh, yeah. This was right in the thick of it. And I think speaking of that, I think he's miles in a way better in this than he is in something like Dallas Buyers Club. But, you know, that's just me. McConaughey, what's cool about this movie is that McConaughey is so super cool in it, but everyone else is insane. Yeah. Like Emile Hirsch, Thomas A. Church, Gina Gershon, Juno Temple. They're all insane. The movie has a great use of stroking by Clarence Carter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this, though? I love this movie. I, yeah. I I remember well I knew I I knew all about it because of of Tracy Letts in the play, so I was like oh wow they're doing they're doing a they're doing a movie of this and I was just so thrilled with the movie I was like this is I I I I don't know if we talked about this I'm sure it came up during our way back when on our uh, our 
our adaptations from place to film podcast. Mm-hmm. This was this is a great example. This is a very very good example of a movie doing a very good job from coming from the source material. So you had read the play? Yeah. Did anything in like the movie shock you because you had already read the play or were you like were you thinking going into the movie like how the hell are they gonna do that <laughs> yeah i mean there's definitely a part of it um i think the movie that's what i think the movie did so well with this because th- it didn't shy away from it i can't imagine doing that night after night on stage i i've never seen a production of killer joe so i i'd have to see how that went but i loved that the way that they did it on film because i was like i think this is being the most effective way to handle this scene. Yeah, I totally I totally get it. I mean, one thing about the movie is that it does have like great cinematography by Caleb Deschanel, who has two daughters, Emily and Zoe. And this poor guy's been nominated for six Oscars and never won. Fuck. So it looks great. It sounds great. It's just when you see a master adopt this rating and do it in a way that, you know, he's using the rating to his advantage. There's a lot of perverse sexual content in this movie and to see him just you know go for it as an older man it's like okay wow and and as we've you know been alluding all the uh frenzy surrounding the fellatio finale of blonde i certainly hope (laughs) no critic of blonde has ever seen killer joe jesus you know oh my god number three is a movie i've referenced a few times in the past year on this pod, we're going we're going with Crash, directed by David Cronenberg. Again, another master director really uh, adopting what you can do with the NC-17 rating. And I actually rewatched every Cronenberg movie when Crimes of the Future was released this year. Did a full solo pod on that one, episode 62 there, all by my lonesome. Crash was Martin Scorsese's eighth favorite film of the 90s. Bernardo Bertolucci called it a religious masterpiece. I'm just trying to sell it here for people <laughs> who, you know, have never dared to try it. But have you ever seen this? I've never seen it, but my favorite yeah. thing that you say about this is, I, I'm going to butcher it, but it's it's where you're like, when you're comparing the two Crash movies. And like, yes. How did you say that? Like, one is like a is like a religious like masterpiece or whatever Bertolucci said. And then the other one won an Oscar. Yeah. The other one won just happened to win best picture. Yeah. Yeah. One can be like a religious experience for uh, some people apparently, but okay. The movie is, um, I also like, I'm trying to describe what these movies about to be like, you know, it's not, maybe it's not as scary as you've heard. Every movie on this list has like scary scenes, but crash is a movie about people and cars meeting at the intersection of sex and thrill. (laughs) It's about a very sexually active group of people whose sexual identities are tied to cars and car crashes. Some people, like Elias Cotez, one of my favorite actors, and Holly Hunter, they're already in this world, while a couple in a very open relationship, James Spader and Deborah Kara Unger, they're just now discovering this vehicular fetish. So. Roger Ebert was a big fan of the movie. He said kind of famously that I admired it, although I can't say I liked it. I think you and I talk about a lot of movies on this podcast, and there is a difference between liking something and admiring what it's saying and how it's saying it. And I did read Crash, the book by J.G. Ballard, and wow, if you've you've never seen Crash, but you are curious, I would urge you to check it out because there's a lot of gossip online about this movie that just isn't true. 
involving a scar. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, it, it's a, this is like a short one. This is like an hour, 40 minutes and it just cruises, but yeah, you're going to see some, some crazy shit. I do think you'd like it though. I think you would appreciate the go for broke tone of it. Cause he is setting this tone. I'm talking from minute two and going, this is where I am. If you're here with me, we could have a, a, a weird, but fun time. If you're not with me, then just get out of the damn car right yeah, now. <laughs> that's fair. Number two is a movie I actually already referenced extensively in the history portion, but that's for good reason because it is important to the history of the NC-17 rating, and it's number two because Bad Lieutenant by Abel Ferrara is not only one of my favorite films of the 90s, it was Scorsese's fifth favorite film of the 90s, and nobody's ever seen a movie like this. Not even Werner Herzog's uh, loose remake, not really a remake starring Nicolas Cage that I love, by the way, that I love, but uh, this is not that. You've and no one has certainly ever seen Harvey Keitel like this, even if you uh, think you have. This movie, Bad Lieutenant, 1992, this movie's like an assault. Keitel plays uh, the lieutenant in question, and it's just right up there with the most realistic depiction of a corrupt cop that I have ever seen. I mean, this guy snorts coke before he walks into a crime scene. He smokes crack with criminals, does heroin on the street. He sexually demeans people. He owes a ton of money to bookies. Um, I should also say that he's married and he has kids. He's just an absolute mess. Like <laughs> the plot of the movie. Uh, most of the plot of this movie is just following this guy around, watching him be bad, bad, bad. But uh, there is like a, a B plot. There is a narrative kind of motion uh, that isn't fun to describe. But after a nun is sexually assaulted, they put this lunatic lieutenant on the case because this is an Abel Ferrara movie and he just goes for it. Religious imagery is a huge part of it. Um, this movie's just pure 90s, pure 90s New York, Victor Argo, Paul Caderon, Zoe Lund, great and savage New York movie and Keitel's best performance. No question. Wow. Harvey Keitel. What, you got to see this what, one, man. I can't believe you haven't yeah, seen this. Yeah, I've never seen this one. I mean, this is like, oh, God, you just got to do it. Another short one, too. It just moves, moves, moves. And especially because, like, obviously I am a fan of the Nicolas Cage one, but I think the only reason that's that's because it's not, it's not the movie. It's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I mean, that just has – there you have a marriage of an extremely odd movie star, Nicolas Cage, and an extremely odd film director, Werner Herzog, who were meeting and going, let's – do this. I mean, that movie has like, I laugh really hard during that movie. I don't laugh during Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant. It is yeah, not designed that way yeah, at it's all. Not it's not an thing. absurd movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's a uh, really good. I mean, I own this one. I've seen it. I've seen it quite a few times. It's it's a tough movie, but yeah, Keitel. God, he's just so good in it. And I would definitely rate it as his best. Oh damn! All right, what a hell of a year, 1992 for him. Yeah, I mean, Reservoir Dogs. This, yeah, for sure, hell of a year, hell of a season. All right. <laughs> What's my number one, Nick? Oh, God. Well, I've scoured my brain. I've crossed many tracks. And I've come to the conclusion that there can only be one movie that could possibly. Orgasmo by Trey Parker. And oh, Matt my God. How did you know this? What I was going to. Oh, man. You were going to say that? I was going to say that goddamn joke. Oh, I st oh shit. I stole the bit. Oh, I'm sorry. God damn it. <laughs> I, it was the whole entire I thing. You were I saw the. Be sincere. I saw this oh, goddamn man. forsaken outline, and I was like, "Because so, all right, so for all of the uh, all of the people listening here on Alex's oh. botched outline, his number one, I he's got it. is five through one, five, well five through two rather are all question marks, 
And then yes. number one, it says, take one goddamn guess. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll find some some witty thing to come up with. So I'm researching all these NC-17 movies, and I see Orgasmo pop up. And I was like, oh, that's got to get in here somewhere. Like, we have to get that movie mentioned somewhere. And, ah, you took the jam out of my donut. (laughs) I love it, though. I love it. I don't like jelly donuts. That's gross. I love it, though. I love that you just, uh, no, I do. I do. (laughs) It's not my go-to, though. Um, That's hilarious, because I was waiting to try to, like, sneak that one in, so we both had it. But no, of course... I'm talking about Steve McQueen's Shame from 2011. Did an entire episode on this movie, episode 45. This is my, count them, fourth favorite film of all time. <sighs> I've seen it as much as any other movie. <laughs> it was a no-brainer that it was going to be ranked here, but that is for good reason. Uh, no notes on this one. People have heard me talk about it enough. Say, say, say something new. Say something you've never said about it. I am starting to write my next thing. And this, I, you know, it's all good. We're not talking about something that's going to get made like a month from now. I'm just working on something. And I have, when I tell you I have studied the opening montage of this and the downfall montage to where I have actually, I can pull it off right here, <laughs> written out like every different sequence that is being displayed here. So, like, okay, he's waking up. Okay, he's on the subway. Okay, he's waking up again. And then at the end, you know, it's like, okay, we start on the subway. Now he's in the bar. Basically done some shame math and picked all of that apart, put it in chronological order, deciphered how much time has passed in each cutaway, tried to understand why he cut, when he cut, and back to which point he cut to. And I'm using that, not like, I'm not using it as a formula, but I'm using that kind of as a template for something I'm working on. So, That's not like any trivia about the movie, but that's the level of obsession I have with it. Because I think the way Michael Fassbender's character is introduced, and then later when he has his downfall, his binge, are just two of the most magnificently edited sequences I have ever seen. And I needed to understand why. I needed to break down the actual like engineering mechanics of it. You know, how many times does he cut back to that subway and the downfall montage, which we talked about. You know, you, it starts there, so you see the little scar on his face, and like, when does he decide to come back? Where are we in the storyline? I just, I don't know. I will never, ever stop trying to figure this movie out. It's been out for 11 years, and I usually tell people when people are like, what's your favorite movie? That Someone asks, like, what's your favorite movie? That can open up. It, it depends what kind of conversation you want to have. So if, if we're talking like all timer, am I going to have to do that? So I'll say, well, I could tell you the best movie like I've seen since it was released. And I'll go with this one. I'll say shame 2011. Most, a lot of people haven't heard of it. If people have heard of it, they look at me like I'm crazy. That's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, movie's so important to me. It changed how I looked at the art form completely. Oh my God. And it's I've, still on Hulu. Go watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's still on Hulu. Dude, I fucking love that. I love that. That was a that was a that was a great great little side tangent to something that I didn't expect and something I didn't either. talk about. Shame is very cool. Yeah, I like uh, color coordinated it. Like <laughs> subways in green when he goes to the bar and is hitting on the woman that's like in red. And then I'm trying to see where I wanted to see where these met. I just did this all on paper. It's not like I took them into my editing software, which I have considered <laughs> to put them in order. But then I put it in order chronologically like all my computer and i went oh okay that's it would not be as interesting if it was like that and to actually see how they did this like when you 
writing a montage can be kind of hard, like how you want it to go. But then if you, if you do like an, a separate file and you go, okay, what, what do I want to say in this montage? Like how many different scenes am I trying to show? Like, okay, I'm showing cross-cutting between four different things here. What I found is I'm going to put those four events in order on my outline. And yeah. then now that I know the order they go in chronologically, I can play with them in the script now. I can play with them over here and play with the form. And uh, yeah, this it's why this movie still continues to inspire me uh, beyond really all others since its release. I should say all others since its release. Yes. So that's it. There's your top 10 NC-17 rated films. From what are you watching? What are you watching approved? Official <laughs> NC-17 rated. I'm going to go through my top 10 since we kind of botched the orders. We were going through them. Yeah, go Apologies through them. again. <laughs> Number 10, The Dreamers. Number 9, Blue is the Warmest Color. Number 8, Lust Caution. Number 7, Man Bites Dog. Number 6, Descent. Not to be confused with The Descent. Number 5, Showgirls, of course. Number 4, Killer Joe. Number three, Crash. Number two, Bad Lieutenant, the Abel Ferrara movie. And number one, Orgasmo by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. <laughs> I do want to mention some honorable mentions here. Bad Education by Pedro Almodovar. No stranger to this rating. I love him for that. Blonde, of course, by Andrew Dominic, which if I'm doing this list, uh, I don't know, next year would definitely make my top 10 somewhere. I just, again, didn't want to include it because I wanted to talk about as many movies as possible. Which one would you kick out for Blonde? Which one? Uh, interestingly, interestingly, based on our conversation solely, I'm probably going to take out Blue is the Warmest Color. I don't know how that movie's aged for me. I would need to uh, examine it. I feel okay with it. I feel fine where it is now. And it's even number nine. Like, it's it, why I'm saying interestingly that I wouldn't just instinctually kick out number 10, The Dreamers. But I like The Dreamers being on a top 10 NC-17 list. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Thanks, I know. Honorable <laughs> mention, still going. John Waters, certainly no stranger to controversy, did A Dirty Shame, which is... Okay, you'll never forget it. If you see it, Johnny Knoxville's in that one, bud. Ooh. The documentary, Inside Deep Throat, a documentary about the making of the <laughs> porno Deep Throat. That's rated NC-17 because of all the footage they show from Deep Throat. Wow. Two Girls and a Guy, directed by James Toback, starring Robert Downey Jr., young Robert Downey Jr., um, pre-sober Robert Downey Jr. And uh, this is rated NC-17 because of... A scene that the title suggests. So, yeah, those are some <laughs> honorable mentions there. Any from you? Oh, give me your top five list. Give me your or give me your list that you, that you had of all the options you had. I want to see what you went with. So, I had blue is the warmest color. Okay. I had killer Joe. Okay. Mysterious skin, and I had shame at number one. And then I did have showgirls at the very bottom because I, for the same reason as you, I was like, I should probably include this one. Yeah, you just got to include it, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, because it is it's sort of like, well, yeah, this is sort of like the quintessential NC-17 movie. But yeah, so that was my list. Yeah. So Mysterious Skins, your only unrated one on there. So that's a good list, too. That's a strong list. Yes. Yeah, so that's not, yeah, not too bad. All right. So that closes out the NC-17 discussion. But, you know, I figured... We're just going to keep this going a little bit. We'll have some nice little bonus material here that has nothing really to do with <laughs> NC-17 rated films, but it is, we're releasing this at the tail end of the Halloween season, the 2022 Halloween season, and I love the horror genre. We, you know, we did an episode last year, the scariest movies we've ever seen. It 
It is not a genre you particularly enjoy. You did a lot when you were younger, but stuff scares you very easily now. And I like it for any number of reasons. I like discovering new and young filmmakers, which is something the genre has always been useful for. I like seeing the way people are stretching a budget in 2022 cinema because a lot of these weren't made for that much money. But I've seen like pretty much every horror slash scary slash psychological thriller movie that's come out so far this year. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm going to talk about all the ones that I would recommend people watch. This didn't mean that I like was a diehard lover of all of them, but I enjoyed myself when I watched all of these movies and I just want to give my thoughts in case, you know, sometimes I have a bit of a hangover from spooky movie season and I find myself like not cutting that off at October 31st and I'll be like, in the first week of November, honestly, because of lists like these, like I read lists or listen to podcasts and people are going, no, 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 you miss one. You miss one. You got to check this out. So, so you probably will not have seen any of the movies I'm going to talk about these 2022 movies. And I, it's not, not like any not of these, damn one. Are, <laughs> I doubt any of these even end up on my top 10 of the year. So this is, it's just, you know, we got a podcast. I didn't want to do it as its own separate episode because it's not going to be that long. So here it is some fun, recent horror movies. Scream 5. Already talked about it. Talked about it in our Scream episode way back. That's making your top 10 of the year. I guarantee it. Scream 5, uh, yeah, might have a chance to crack crack it there. We talked about this when we did Scream 1 and Scream 2 podcast. I really, really liked it. It was written by James Vanderbilt, written and produced, who was the writer-producer of Zodiac. He's also writing Scream 6. Um, For Scream 5, it was so great to bring back Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and then adding... Jenny Ortega, Mickey Madison, who we love, Jack Quaid. Um, I'm worried about part six, but I was worried about part five. Not bringing Nev back for part six is a bad, bad, bad move. Unless, unless it's a troll. And that would be a major troll. But if she ends up actually being in Scream 6, like one scene, like, a, I don't know, could she be the killer? I, I you know. I think that's giving them a little too too much credit, but uh, so I doubt that'll be the case. But like to not include her was just uh, silly to me. Still love the movie though. If you're a Scream fan, a lot of us diehard Scream One, Scream Two fans liked Scream Five, and I think that's for good reason. So she doesn't die in Scream Five, is what you're saying? I didn't. Hey, they brought back old Skeet Ulrich for Scream Five, and he's dead. Skeet, Skeet is in Scream Five. Screams it. There's no, there's no rules, man. man. It's all and the the dude is still dead. Billy is dead. Trust me. So I'm not, I'm not saying how Scream Five ends. Maybe she did bite it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Man, uh, Skeet's in it. Maybe I gotta see it. Oh, it's great. The next one I'm gonna mention. This is actually a 2021 movie. Sorry, I just watched it on Netflix. I'm mentioning it right after Screen Five because I thought, you know, last Friday I'm sitting by myself and I go, I want to watch a Netflix horror movie, like a Netflix original, because full disclosure, I often find that they get it wrong a lot of the time. And I'm like, uh, and I won't even make it to the end, but I was just, you know, I'm just looking, just browsing, doing the, doing something. I hardly just doing your thing, doing my thing. I never do that. I usually have like what I'm going to watch mapped out, came across something called there's someone inside your house. And this was made by Patrick Bryce, who made creep creep Two. The Overnight. I don't know if you saw The Overnight. Not a scary movie. Good movie. Takes place over the course of one evening. There's Someone Inside Your House actually felt like a modern update of the original Scream. Like Scream circa 2022, which is exactly what Scream 5 was doing. But this and Scream 5 would actually make a cool double feature for this reason. I just, 
I love the way the young characters spoke in this movie. I don't get to see too many like authentic high school movies or TV shows anymore. Like Euphoria is not uh, trying to yeah. be authentic. And I, I just, no. it, it was the kind of thing where everyone is aware of the world they live in, where you got to be careful about what you say. There's woke culture, PC culture. But when the characters decided to intentionally buck against that, it was, I don't know, it was a lot of fun. This usually happens in dialogue. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect movie, but. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good for a Netflix original horror movie. Two people I want to call out that I had never heard of, but Sydney Park is incredible. She actually reminded me a lot of Mickey in this, like a lot. Oh. And I, I, was, I was so into it because it reminded me of our friend and someone we've worked with. And then Aja Cooper was great as well. They really stole the film. It was a very satisfying teen slasher movie. And you know, the two actors I just mentioned are not white, and everyone in Scream 1996 is white. This is why it's cool for me to watch these movies. I like seeing these different perspectives, these different cultures. I don't mind that at all. There's a lot of people that complain about this stuff, but like straight up, when I was 11 years old watching Scream, it never occurred to me that like, oh, all those people look like me. It, it, that never occurred to me one way or another. Yeah. I was just used to it. But there are a lot of people who don't look like me who weren't used to that stuff. And I just love the different representation because sometimes they bring it into their character. Sometimes they don't, but you know, this is the way high schools look nowadays. It's not just all white everywhere. And I, that was one aspect I really enjoyed of the movie. There's someone inside your house. Yeah. I'm getting these early ones out of the way. Cause I've kind of talked about them already, including this is actually the best horror double feature of 2022. And that is Ty West's X and Pearl filmed them both at the same time in COVID. In New Zealand, X is a really good 70s horror, bad porno movie vibe, meaning it's about <laughs> a group of people who are just setting out to make a cheap porno and make some money. They go to a remote cabin. Things don't go well. Kid Cudi's there. Jenny Ortega from Scream 5 is there. Mia Goth plays two wildly different roles in X. And not even kidding, I'm just going to say it. I would nominate her for the Oscar for this. I'm not even kidding. Why not? It would never, never, never happen. But I was so impressed by the dual roles she did in X. I was like, I mean, who cares? Like, inject a little fun into stuff. I, I don't know. I thought she was great. Pearl is a prequel to X, and it's also really damn fun and kind of gross on purpose. I loved both equally. And yeah, best double feature, hard double feature of 2022, X and Pearl. Mia Goth is just really great. I really, really like her. That's cool. You know, she was great in Suspiria. I've just, I've always been a fan. Yeah. You know, the next one, Prey by Dan Trachtenberg. This is a prequel to the Predator franchise. You heard of this one on Hulu? I heard good things about this. Yeah, this, this is why I wanted to mention it, because it's set in the northern Great Plains of America in 1719. That is a far cry from the jungles of 1987 Predator. I thought it was really smart to make this the lead of this movie a strong young female protagonist in Amber Midhunter. I'm sorry if I'm not saying that right, as Naru. And I just loved her in this. I thought she really carried the movie, and I thought she did an amazing job. And if you like the Predator films and you can spare 100 minutes for this Hulu original, I don't think you're going to do wrong. I think you'd like this one too, actually. I haven't heard a bad thing about it. Yeah, it was, if you're a fan of the franchise, here it is. And how many franchise movies do we see? We're like, okay, whatever. I'm not, I didn't like that one. And this one, it just, it was good. It fit in really well, especially given the challenging, you know, kind of 
time period. Like we're not in any contemporary setting. I thought that the title is very good. Yeah, I like it too. Like considering like yeah, like that, like that's 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 uh, that's a that's a nice way to do that. Yeah, good play on words there. This next one is yeah, a not pun. Uh, a, pun. a pun, if you will. This next one is will. not a conventional horror movie. Certain not certainly not a slasher. Think you'd actually get a lot out of this one. It's called Resurrection, directed by Andrew Siemens. Now, Rebecca Hall, the great Rebecca Hall, Ooh. is living her best life in Albany, New York there. <laughs> her daughter is going off to college. Things are all good. Then she spots a man from her past, played by Tim Roth. Ooh. And this is not good. I do not want to say why this is not good, but the very sight of him unsettles her to the point that what unfolds is a very unsettling psychological thriller with an ending that is a lot of fun to unpack. Um, this is a thinker, but not like in a challenging way. Like, what did it all mean? It's just a smart thriller, disturbing ending. But this is one where I wish I could have watched with like people and not just by myself at home, like running it on YouTube for six ninety nine watching it. Because when it was done, I you know you want to go, oh my god, what like what what was it? What was it about? What did it? I don't know. It was good resurrection. I highly recommend it. I think you'd like it. I like both those both both those actors. They're great. They're great, and it's always fun to see Tim Roth just like he's like, oh, I'm still here. Like I'm here, yeah. <laughs> and, and you go, oh yeah, you are. Like he's just great. He's great. I rewatched. He's the, never uh, left. Yeah, no, he's, but he's, that's what I mean. He's never left, and he pops back in. Like he's great in yeah. the Hateful Eight, which I just rewatched last night. I was like, oh yeah, you are you are really good. At this uh, I love him, and he's great in Resurrection. Yeah. Holy shit. The next one I've already mentioned on the pod a few episodes ago, it was Bodies, 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 directed by Helena Rhine. And, you know, a lot of these movies, these like contemporary horror movies, actually just every horror movie, the genre is kind of about the journey. It's as perverse as that journey may be. You're watching this movie wondering, like, who's going to die? How are they going to die? In what order are they going to die? Yeah. Who's killing everyone? That, that's, that's part of the allure of this genre, even if we don't want to admit it. And a lot of these movies, historically horror movies or certainly uh, more contemporary ones, they just kind of shit the bed on the ending. It happens. It's always yeah. been that way. So I like when a movie like this nails its ending in a very satisfying way and which Bodies, Bodies, Bodies did. And Rachel Zenot, uh, again, was the highlight here. But everyone is good. Lee Pace is in another movie in the best possible way. He was just, you know, wow. Beast, starring Idris Elba, is a movie that I just keep seeing, like, kind of popping up. It did, like, decent in theaters. I went to the theaters <laughs> to see it, and now it's already on streaming for free. It's about a widow doctor. He takes his daughters on a sort of game reserve vacation in South Africa. It's certainly not my idea of a good time. And a lion starts to hunt them. And... That's your movie, wow. you know, if you're, wow. if you like these realistic type of creature films, like realistic animal films, think like The Edge, The Ghost in the Darkness, Crawl from a few years ago, that fits in well to this. It's not like as sophisticated as The Edge, but if you're willing to go into that genre, this won't disappoint. I just, I really enjoyed it for that reason. What's the CGI like? It was good. It was good. There. Oh, was it I good? Mean, uh, <laughs> CGI outside of the big superhero movies are like, it, it's getting better. It's getting really good. And okay. it, when you're just focusing on like, we just need to do a lion and you know, some like, you know, we got to make it look dark and stuff like that. I'm much more impressed with that than creating this whole entire world of CGI that just looks so 
I don't know, washed out. And I know I give these superhero movies a lot of crap for this about the CGI, CG of these movies. <laughs> this is often not the fault of the people rendering these graphics. It's not, they're so pressed for time. Marvel is bankrupting all these, you know, special effects outlets because they put these crazy deadlines on them and then they do subpar work. That's how I understand it. But yeah, I, oft, I mean, we talk about this. It's like, why is, why are Martin Scorsese movies getting CG right? Like Wolf of Wall Street, where you're completely painting canvases that look absolutely real like we're actually in italy when we weren't we we're just like on some dock somewhere why does that look more realistic than the latest marvel movies and this is why because if you have less effects to do and you can put more time and focus on that then it works out well so i liked it it wasn't you know it's not a real lion i mean you know <laughs> it should be i don't think it, it should, should be, be. Lions have hearts. Next one, I've definitely talked about this. This was my What Are You Watching pick on episode 74, the Andrea Arnold pod. This is Barbarian, directed by Zach Kreger. I'm mentioning it again because it was just released on HBO Max and not trying to call myself out here, but I did say this movie is going to be a smash when it releases on streaming. And it is. People are loving it. I'm glad people are being, at least on my timeline, pretty uh, cool about where the movie goes and which is by way of saying not revealing it. And people are just like, wow, this movie's nuts. Go watch it. This movie's crazy. And that's what I've been urging people to do for a few weeks now. It's, it's really good. I do think you would like it. You would definitely get... I'm going to yeah, watch it. I'm going to watch it. You would absolutely get enjoyment out of the strong decisions it makes. You will be impressed by it. And it's like, okay. I just need, I just need somebody to watch it with me. It's all I need. It's not that bad. Like gore horror wise, it's not, well. I mean, I say that. <laughs> See, best thing. I, it's so it's you so weird because like you can't trust what I say, but I try to give it to you straight. No, no, and it, but I, I have a hard time like rec recognizing exactly what it is about horror that I don't like because it's not the violence, it's not the gore. I like all that stuff. Yeah, if you're able to pinpoint that, then you can figure out what is like upsetting to you about this and it's not slasher movies either it's just i i suppose there's just an element of like all of a sudden when it's time to be scared am i cool with it right now mm -hmm. like am i am i in a place where i want to be scared which is never if i find myself there sometimes it's 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 fine and then sometimes i'm like oh god damn it why am i watching this right now so you can never really know yeah it's different for us all like one thing I love watching scary movies, but it's still like that scary sensation. Like I'll, I'm cool with certain aspects of it. I'm not cool with other aspects. That's all I'm saying. This is what I like investigating. Like if something does scare me, it's, it's why. Because we've talked about this, like the violence, the gore. It doesn't really scare me that much either. The next movie I'm going to reference is the scariest movie to me that I'm talking about today. It's called Speak No Evil. It's a Danish movie, but most of it's in English. I watched this on Shudder. It's a Shudder original. If you like scary movies, the Shudder app is like, it is just the best. They have so much good original movies. Two couples meet on vacation. They hit it off. One couple invites the other couple to their rural home a few weeks later. Remember uh, Nocturnal Animals and that extended roadside kidnapping that I still can't watch again? Ooh. Watch it once. Still can't watch again. <laughs> Speak No Evil is like... A 98-minute version of that. Oh, it my so, God, dude. So, so unsettling. Everything that happens in this movie could happen in real life. There's no supernatural thing. Oh. There's no man in a mask. It premiered at Sundance. I watched it on Shudder. I don't want to say any more than that, but um, I didn't know any actor in this movie. Didn't know anyone involved with it. So I went in fully blind, and it was an extremely... Uh, 
disturbing experience, but I went, wow, that's probably the most terrifying movie I'll see just for me yeah. this year. Wow. Speak no evil. Christian Toftrup. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. He's a director. You heard about this next one I'm going to talk about? Smile? Yeah, it's been getting a lot, yeah, of, yeah. A lot of attention. I, yeah, still it's in getting theaters. a lot of attention. Directed by Parker Finn. Really popular movie right now. I'd... I'd probably say it's right up there with Barbarian as the most popular 2022 horror film. And Smile's a hit. It has a, it had a $17 million budget. It's already made $170 million and it's still God going. Damn. You got a therapist. Again, no spoilers because I know, again, this one is in theater, so no spoilers. A therapist played by Sosie Bacon, who looks exactly like her parents kevin bacon and kira sedgwick like exactly <laughs> i'd never seen her in a movie before she's a therapist she witnesses the suicide of one of her patients and she starts to believe that what that patient was being haunted by is the thing that is now haunting her and there's trust me that's very simplistic there's a lot more going on great thrills some you know Solid kills, which is <laughs> kind of why we watch these. Uh, really good ending. And when you watch this, it will be easy to identify why it is so popular right now. I dug it. That's cool. It wasn't, it wasn't as good as Barbarian to me. A lot of people have been asking. I thought Barbarian was just so smart to me for a number of different reasons. But Smile is good. You know, listening to you talk about all these movies, and, and it's making me think about the way that people talk about horror movies it is not how people talk about any other type of movie because yeah, for sure. there's for criteria sure. that everyone has. Yep. So like, so it's like the things that you're referencing just like that, like where it's, it's got good kills. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it wows them at the end. Like I, I would hear uh, the people that I work with, like uh, one guy in particular, he's he loves horror movies, so he's going to see all mm-hmm. these things. And he comes back, he goes, "Man, it just wasn't, uh, you know, they missed the mark here, or like this or that." Yeah. And it's very, very much like what you're saying. And I just, it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, we never talk about dramas this way, or even comedies. We, 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 we like we, yeah, we will talk about like what we think worked about the movie, but we don't talk about oh, it hit this. It nailed that. It had this to it. Like, it's just very, very fascinating that horror movies, they really are their own thing in this way. They really are. And like, we can, a lot of us can agree on like, I mean, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, like our senses of humor, everyone's senses of humor are different. But when you all find like a comedy to rally around and everyone's like, yeah, this is really funny. Or when there's a horror movie going around, like this is really scary or this is really entertaining. One of the reasons I see a lot of these movies is that I like, even if I don't think the movie's going to be for me, and I don't go to every horror movie, there's some, there's a really bad one that's released this week, and it had like a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's called Pray for the Devil. I was like, okay, I'm not going to go do that. I, I get what that thing is. But like, Barbarian, Smile, I saw all those, uh, X, Pearl, I saw all those opening weekends, Scream 5, in the theater, because I want to be in there with the other lunatics being scared. Yeah. And it, it's just part of that whole communal experience that makes these films fun but yeah it we talk about them like we all find different things funny we all have different expectations from a horror movie like what scares us a lot of people are like well no i don't want to be scared but then they go to these movies anyway that they're scared it's like yeah there's i don't know all right next up is good night mommy this was directed by matt sobel this is a remake of a terrifying 
Austrian film from 2014 that I've referenced on the podcast, those, the directors of that original film later went on to make The Lodge oh, with Riley Keough. Remember that movie? I did like that, that movie. One. was great. We love that one. Yeah. Naomi Watts is the star of this remake, and because she's the star and because it premiered very easily on Amazon Prime, I just decided to check it out, you know? I love Watts. I always have. I love her. Anything she's in, I'm, I never finish it, and I go, oh, that wasn't worth it, because I, you know, got to hang out with her for a little bit. But if you're debating putting this one on, I would just really strongly urge you to go watch the original. It's better. That's my push for it. That's all. Fair enough. Yeah, this next one is... um tough never heard of this this is also not a traditional horror movie this is called nitrum directed by justin cruzel and he is the director of macbeth with fassbender and marion cootsyard oh snowtown from 2011 don't know if you've ever seen that movie um that snowtown i've seen it once it contains scenes of violence that i still cannot get out of my head wow that's a movie you only need to see once jesus christ Nitram is also incredibly tough. It's a it's about it's about a disturbed young man played by Caleb Landry Jones. Ooh. Uh, could be his best role yet. What? I don't know. It's right there. Get it's out right of there. here, dude. He's never he's never ever played someone this disturbed. Never. Few actors have. This dude is so good. He's so fucking good. I want to see just because of him. Um, this is a true story about a man named Martin Bryant. And if you don't know who that is, as I didn't. Uh, don't Google or wiki him, but, uh, wow. Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia, an actor I've always loved, play his parents. Wow. Um, yeah. Proper ending. That's what I'll say. Proper. They withhold things in a way that I very much appreciated, but this is just like a grisly journey through the hell of a mad young man. Wow. It's, it's, yeah, it's a rough movie, more emotionally rough than anything. Yeah. More. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're a fan of Caleb Landry Jones, I don't know if he's been better than this. And I mean, he's in almost every scene and he's just completely out of his mind. Jesus. Better than the last scene in the outpost. I thought a lot about that actually, because he's astounding in the outpost and he acts that, final scene so well but like that movie doesn't rest on his shoulders no no movie like nitro is on his shoulders like that's all him and that's martin backwards by the way i didn't put that together um until after but it's his name backwards the title that is oh so yeah tough tough movie but but it's out there it's out there yeah it's easy it's easy to find right now but um yeah i i hadn't heard of this until it was released on streaming i don't i don't know if it was in theaters i don't know and it's just, it's a tough one. If you've seen Snowtown, then it's in that vibe. I'll put it that way. Halloween ends. David Gordon Green finished his Halloween trilogy. He had Halloween in 2018, Halloween Kills, 2021, and now Halloween ends. Halloween and Halloween Kills take place back to back. And this one, Halloween ends, it's a few years later. This movie, it definitely went places I didn't expect. And I think that's throwing some people off, but I actually kind of enjoyed that about it. and. I don't know. What can I say? If you liked, if you've liked Green's series so far, I think you'll enjoy this. I thought if you thought Halloween Kills was exploitative and ridiculous and repulsive, then I doubt you want to check this one out. So that's that. <laughs> You're you are the like it has been pretty unanimous since Gordon Green started this whole trilogy 
I have never heard anyone say a good thing about it except for you. <laughs> and, and that's not to yeah. knock them because I haven't seen them. And, and I, love, I like David Gordon Green a lot. I like his work. But um, it, it's very, very clear that he went for something his own way. Yeah. And I think that's just not vibing with a lot of people. But I think you see it as like, oh, this is what this guy decided to do. Him and Danny McBride, who helped him write yeah. all the screenplays. Like it was their idea together. They clearly had a vision for it. And it's like, okay, I get it. I don't think they're perfect films. I think the ending of Halloween Kills is like, it's so ridiculous. And at some point, these, you know, my wife, Allie, loves horror movies, so I've been watching a lot of these with her, and she has liked this series, but she goes, like, I feel like in all these different franchises you show me, like, at some point, it turns from this is a man to this is, like, a spiritual entity that you yeah. literally can't kill, even if you shoot him six times in the chest with a high-caliber pistol, like, so... Yeah. I kind of lose sight of that as well. I always want to keep it like just a man, not like this being. And that's what makes the first Halloween 1978 so damn cool because it's just a guy. And, you know, he's the boogeyman. So that's where I have to let that go in order to enjoy these movies. And Halloween Kills, I think a lot of people had trouble with just some of the directions it took. And I, I get it, but Halloween Ends is, it still has some uh, tough scenes, but it wasn't as gruesome as Kills. But I, I, I appreciate them. Again, these movies aren't like on my top 10 of the year or anything, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just get what they're doing. I get, and when I watch them in the two hours it takes me to watch one of them, I enjoy my time with it. You know, whatever. Here's another one that people that may have matched Blonde in terms of 2022 controversy, Dahmer. Netflix is Dahmer, yep. created by Ryan Murphy. I have not seen every Ryan Murphy show, has anyone, but this was <laughs> right up there with the best I've seen from him, right up there with the assassination of Gianni Versace, which I thought was an incredible miniseries on FX. But now the dude's on Netflix, and now he's showing violence, and his characters can curse, and he can get as deplorable as he wants. Jeffrey Dahmer was a deplorable human being, and the criticism this show has faced has been swift and fierce yeah. for two weeks. When that died down, Netflix revealed that Dahmer is their second most streamed original show ever. You have Squid Game, which Netflix acquired, then you have Stranger Things. And then you have Dahmer, which Netflix created. Yeah. If you are the type of person who does not understand this cultural obsession with serial killers, I hear you. I really do. But sadly, you are in the minority. Like, th this is, I mean, uh, right before we went live on this, <laughs> I pulled up my podcast app. And podcasts like Dateline, Crime Junkies, Morbid, these are always in the top 10 most popular podcasts any given week. Not most popular true crime podcasts, just all of them. Who can count how many popular true crime shows are currently on the air? Dateline, again, snapped. Unsolved Mysteries, Making a Murderer. People in mass are fascinated by this shit. Yes. I don't know why, but all this content is here to stay. Dahmer is, you know, it was a very well-made, incredibly acted show. Evan Peters may give the, just the best performance I've seen so far this year in, um, anything and i know that's not fair to say because this is like 10 hours of content versus like a two-hour movie but take any two episodes of his acting from the show and i'll stack them against most any other movie performance i've seen this year and i am not kidding richard jenkins molly ringwald niecy nash michael learned penelope ann miller just a great cast tough show good show loved episode six the best but you know 
this stuff's here to stay. That's all I, that's it's all I can say. I'm not, I'm not defending it, but there are, I have an interest in that stuff. I'm not, I also watch a lot of other shit. I'm not like diehard obsessed with this stuff. So that's all, that's all I'll say. We're almost done here, folks. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix and Ryan Murphy and true crime, and there's a case that's been circling the true crime podcast circuit for years. It's one of my favorite cases. Some people refer to the case as 657 Boulevard. Others, like Netflix, are calling it The Watcher. Here's the case. So there's a well-to-do family in New Jersey. They move into a new neighborhood. Their new house is gorgeous. People seem nice. All is well. Shortly after moving in, the family starts receiving ominous letters in the mail, snail mail, from someone calling themselves The Watcher. The first letter freaks the family out. It's clear that the person writing the letters is watching the house constantly. They may even be able to hear what's going on inside. The Watcher is not just peeking through the windows. They have details, and it's freaky as hell. Couple goes to the police. The police say not to be worried. The letters continue, and it drives the family mad. Wow. So that's the real-life case. That, and it goes farther than that. And this seven-episode series, it begins there. Bobby Cannavale and Naomi Watts as the parents are moving into the house. And then because it's a show, so it obviously exploits some real details and a way of making their show more dramatic. I get it. It gets a little crazy, but as a fan of the original story, I enjoyed my time with this show. That's all. And, and, the lead detective on the case is played by Christopher fucking McDonald. And he's having a blast. Uh, and I oh. love him. I had no idea he was going to be in this. And then when they, when they cut to him in the first scene of his first episode, I just screamed aloud in joy in my house to no one, as I often do when he appears on my screen. Dude, he is killing it this year. He uh, yeah, is, he's doing great. He, he's doing great. He, Emmy nomination yeah. for Hacks. Oh, I love it. Love to see it. Come on the pod anytime, Chris Mack. Talk about anything you want. <laughs> One more. And the only reason I wanted to bring this up is because it's called Watcher. And I don't want people to get it confused with The Watcher. This is a movie made by Chloe Okuno. And I wanted to bring this up just to distinguish it from the Netflix show. This stars Micah Monroe, great actor from The Guest. It follows Honey Boy. And Carl Glausman from Love. Oh. They're a couple who moved to Bucharest for his job. Monroe is left at home a lot. She starts to get the feeling that the man across the street and the apartment complex across the street is watching her constantly. Bit of rear window here. A lot of repulsion. Tad a Rosemary's baby. And I'll be honest, while I was in it, while I was watching it, I did not expect them to land the ending. But to me, it did. I checked it out on Shudder, which again, if you love indie horror films, Shudder is remarkable. Like, I had to search for there's someone inside your house for the Netflix original horror movie. Shudder, it's just, it's, they're just there. You just click on it and you're like, okay, there it is. Great. I'll watch it. <laughs> just great. So that's, that's it. That's my 2022 horror film mini reviews. I, I don't know if we're getting scary movies for the rest of the year. If we do, I'll bring them up, but I don't know. So we'll what, see. What, which one was your favorite out of all of these? I absolutely had the most fun watching Scream 5. I can't even lie. Like seeing that and seeing them nail that in the theater. But that was like December I saw that or January. Yeah, it came out yeah. a while ago. So I I really, really loved the ambition of X and Pearl. Watching those together is a lot of fun. Barbarian is the one that maybe impresses me the most with its actual filmmaking. And yeah, that's and then Speak No Evil is the most disturbing it's, of the bunch yeah. to me. 
But the bet, like I had the best time watching Scream 5. I love Scream and Scream 2. It, you know, it was just great. But again, that was a while ago. This year specifically, like recently, Barbarian was just fun. I saw Barbarian twice, you know, when I recommended it, I was getting ready to go to it again. And it was so much better the second time for reasons that will be clear when everyone watches it the first time. But yeah, I'm really excited to see where Zach Kreger's career goes because he's someone who's not afraid to take chances just in editing and cinematography. Those are the chances I'm talking about. That's it. Well done. Well done. Do you have any what are you watching recommendation? I was going to double down on one that, we, that we've already talked about a lot on here. But. Okay, cool. I am too. I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, just I, I like to sneak this stuff in these little Easter eggs for the hardcore fans, because if you haven't made it this far, you're not going to know what our next episode is going to be. But I just want to tease that our next episode is our next commentary. Talked a lot about, thought a lot about, worked very hard on. Should we reveal what the title is or should I just give some hints? Mm. Uh, here's one hint. Longest pod ever because of the, of the runtime of the movie. It's a movie almost everyone has seen. One more, one more, one more. Controversial Oscar wins ah, for it. Yes. Wins and yes. losses for it. Wins and losses, yes. Saving Private Ryan, folks. We're going to do Saving Private yeah. Ryan. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I teed it up saying I was going to reveal it as this Easter egg. So yeah, Saving Private Ryan. It's going to come out soon and that's our next... Our next episode, and we're just I'm mentioning it. Usually, we usually don't, you know, preview upcoming episodes, but I'm just trying to get people excited for it because we had a fun time with it. But uh, yeah, let's get into what are you watching? I want to hear what you double down on. Mine was double down too because I've talked when I do like this recommendation episode. Yeah. And I mentioned so many movies. I'm just gonna just gonna double down and hammer one home. I'm doing it from the NC17 list. The horror movie stuff was like kind of a bonus, but go ahead. And I'm doing mine from the unrated because, uh, well, oh, yeah, that's fair. Whatever. It's unrated. But um, Mysterious Skin, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. Oh, good call. Good call. That yeah. that movie, um, I think I, I saw that movie like shortly after it came out. And I just remember, um, I remember thinking of the the bullshit that Brokeback Mountain was getting Jesus. and then seeing and then thinking about this movie. And I was like, come on. Like yeah, this, but like, that's because it's unrated and it's unrated exactly, and all that. Thing. But yeah. it's such a good movie, and it really is a a uh, it's a great performance by Joe Scorn Levitt. I ever since I rewatched The Lookout, yeah, I love him in that. I I just like look back at his entire career, and like he's just done some crazy cool stuff. Like it really, yeah, he has. He's been all over the place. He's been in movies like Inception, which is are like you know some of the biggest movies ever made, down to movies like this. He's in shows like TV sitcoms. I mean, that guy has really done the gamut of Hollywood and what it is. Yeah, I've always respected him and like everything he does. Hit record Joe, like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I really, I've always loved his vibe. But his like early 2000s work, that was the the sweet spot for me. Like the manic, the lookout, mysterious skin. Mysterious skin, what I'll say is, um, hmm. I can't say this without revealing the ending. Where that movie goes, that's actually not an uncommon thing. It's very common uh, for people. Um, I'm speaking very generally, but where that movie ends and when you find things out, what has happened all in the rest of the movie is a very common thing to do. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I saw that movie and started studying it. And that's, I'm trying to be general on purpose, but go check it out. Not an easy movie. Not an easy, not movie. An easy movie. Yep. Go check it out. Mine isn't easy either. I'm not going to be a nut job and double down on something like descent because that would just, that's, you know, that's a tough time. 
I am going to double down on the lunacy that is Man Bites Dog because... Yes, that's what I was hoping you were going to do. It, yeah, it's easy to find. It's a Criterion movie. It's out there. It's not one I hear a lot about. I watched this for the first time on a plane uh, <laughs> years ago. Like on, I, I literally, like on my laptop that had like a fucking DVD port in it, put it on and I think I by the end of it, I had like the... Uh, you know, the food menu and like the safety card like up so I could I was blocking <laughs> the view of my laptop from the poor people sitting next to me or close to me because I went, oh, my God, this thing is crazy. I mean, it's not, you know, it's all fake. It's not real. It's not an actual documentary. But yeah, I, I want to hear what people think of Man Bites Dog. I, I want I want there to be I wish for the time that you have flown, I wish that there was always like a version of a passenger next to you. Oh my god! Because you have some insane stories about the movies that you watch on a plane. Oh yeah. And if oh, yeah. anyone just like looks over and it's like, Jesus Christ! Like, who am I well, sitting next to? <laughs> this is the thing about this. Like, I'm actually really sensitive to this stuff because I I don't want to put my crazy shit on you. Yeah, I, yeah, if there's yeah, a yeah. kid, if there's a 10-year-old sitting two rows back that I can't see, but he or she can see my phone. I never use my laptop on planes anymore, but now it'll be my phone. Your phone is easy to conceal, and I can do yeah, that. You if can. I'm watching some crazy shit, I'll conceal it. This shit, these screens they put in the damn headrest now, some of the movies you can choose from, I'm like, oh my holy God. shit. Like, And some people put it on now. What, what did I just fly? I guess United. And I was going to put on something tough. I didn't feel concerned about the people around me. It was fine. But sometimes, I mean, you'll look up and there's like a kid who's sitting next to someone watching like something grotesque and really violent. Yeah. I'm just surprised that they have those movies up there fully unedited when fully. if I'm sitting in the middle seat, like there's a lot of people around me who could see my screen. But uh, yeah, I mean, other people are like, hey, I don't care. They offer it. So I'm going to put it on. I don't know. It's just the way yep. it goes. But yet we can't we, we we can't put sexuality in movies, but we can show them on planes, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've definitely have some interesting plane stories from people. What what are you watching? But <laughs> talked about a lot of movies today, a lot of challenging movies, a lot of good movies, a lot of movies to admire, some scary ones. If you have any thoughts on any of them or all of them, if you have thoughts on all of them, <laughs> let us know at WAYW underscore podcast on Twitter or Instagram. But as always. Thanks so much for listening, and happy watching. Spooky, scary skeleton. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to watch right along with Saving Private Ryan. Long episode, sure, but this is a fun one. Nick gets uh, mad in me (laughs) in this. Like, honestly mad uh, for five seconds, but it's hilarious. Stay tuned.